0: Welcome to the All That's Holy Blue Collar
1: Podcast. Thought-provoking interviews with interesting guests and commentary
0: on everything. Food, sports, God, gardening, church, politics, music, movies, comedy, you name it, we talk about it. I'm Cody Stopper. And this is Craig
1: Morton. On this podcast, we talk to writers, teachers, activists, and we seek
0: some wisdom and as always, We are allergic to big words, but not to big ideas. Profound things will be said,
2: but entirely by accident. Hey. 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 Hi, Cody. Hey. Hey. Hey.
0: Hey, um you mentioned your birthday earlier. And uh so I have a birthday coming up on Saturday. Really? The 24th? Yeah, I huh? yep, I'm going to turn I'm going to turn 40.
1: No way.
0: Yeah. The big four zero. That's crazy
1: cuz Yes. You know cuz what Now you're making me feel old. Okay.
0: <laughs> oh, so, come
1: on now. Well, do you remember where we met? It yes, a Brian of McLaren course. thing?
0: Yep. And uh, were you at the end of the new one? Yeah, the yeah. NNU so NNU, I was working with a alone at
1: the time. And we, yes. we were sponsoring that. Yep. And uh, you were just a young clergy person back that's then. Right.
0: Very, yeah. Gosh, man. Now was you're 20... seasoned. I was either 26 or 27. Yeah, that's crazy. 22. Yeah, wow. right in there. Oh, by the way, um, did you know after that event? I don't know if you knew this, but I tried to get because NNU hosted that event, I was like, oh, cool, they're open to some things. So uh, I'm going to try to get, I had an in with Doug Paget, and he was doing a, his roadshow.
1: Yeah. Thing.
0: Way back then, not like, I mean, it's different now. This was right, about right. voting, but this was like a revival roadshow thing that they were doing, him and Tony Jones. Yeah. And he was like, yes, we will absolutely come to NNU. So I was like, sweet. So I, I started speaking with NNU and they were like, um no because (laughs) that brian mclaren event really caused some uh, backlash in their and those
1: ripples lasted for a while
0: yeah they did (laughs) yeah
1: just ask our friend tom if there were any ripples yeah
0: (laughs) right anyway Um, just a little reminiscence well yeah that's
1: that's that's back when um we i i worked with an organization that worked with doug i mean in the interview that i had with doug that i that we posted over the summer yeah. and he and i were traveling in the same circles but never connected with with each other back then in those That's days
0: interesting. Yeah. yeah um you didn't go to um gosh i'm trying to remember if this was before the brian mclaren event or after but i went to the wild goose west and yes uh, i had
1: wanted to but could not
0: oh it was so good it was really good um, uh, but yes, uh, Doug, Doug, uh, yeah, he was there, Doug Padgett yeah, was there. And yeah. That,
1: yeah. Cause there, there was a group of us who were kind of like advocating. We need a goose, a wild goose in the West, you know, going back to, was it, I always get North and South Carolina confused, but
0: yeah, it's one of Going those back two. to the Carolinas. <laughs> um, All
1: right. I like that. Cause it's <laughs> the Carolinas, the Dakotas, you know, it's like, I don't remember a city. I just know it's up there somewhere. Throw them, throw them together. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, there was a group, you know, I remember, you know, advocating, get it out here, get it out here. And then when flying came out, couldn't afford it.
0: Oh so. <laughs> man, it was so good. I just, we slept in a tent, you know, and uh, so much good art, so much, yeah. the, the, there was great stuff on the main stage. Of course, all that was great. Like Richard Rohr was there and right. uh, Ryan McLaren, of course, and, uh, but it was off the offside they had these little events on little stages right. of people who weren't quite main stage people and those were so good though so well, much yeah, richness and depth I, I i would be
1: awesome for that to to because i know the wild goose still goes on and it, right. I, I guess it went zoom this last year yep, you know, or something online but um i would love to see that become another more venues like that for yeah because we we are in so need of getting healed as a nation that we need to sit down and talk with other people in those kinds of settings.
0: Exactly. Um, We're
1: in such a damaged position.
0: Which I think is, is a good uh, segue to talk about our interview because that's what the Whitney Mustel's uh, organization, Inclusive Idol, is all about. Conversations yes. between people and healing and inclusion. That
1: was a good interview. I really enjoyed uh, having that's that good. conversation with Whitney.
0: Yeah, so. solid. Great, great guest, Craig.
1: So, uh, and you'll hear about that, that conversation uh, if you stay tuned to our podcast and don't, um, like, switch to something else. Uh, but that'll be in a few minutes. Now, one of the other things we might mention is we record generally earlier in the week. Yep. And then finally get it posted and up, you know, uploaded about you know five to seven days later. So if anything <laughs> significant happens in the next few
0: days, we did not address it. <laughs> uh, Trump said something and did something and tweeted something. Stupid, and irresponsible, crazy and, and malicious.
1: <laughs> yeah, that covers it, doesn't it?
0: And uh, I'll, I will tell you, I just read this in a really cool uh, article that actually talked about how Trump is, they won't say he's purposely trying to lose, but like, essentially it's like, I mean, he's thrown it, you know, it's almost like he's thrown, thrown it in, thrown in the towel.
1: I had Um, read something like that over the summer.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it has to do with like this mixed messaging one that he's sending. Right. So like one thing he keeps harping on is, Oh, sleepy Joe Biden is, uh, you know, he's just a vessel. Uh, he's a, he's too old. He and he's just people are just going to use him from the progressive, you know, like the radical left. That's one part of the message, and the second right. is, oh, Sleepy Joe is firm establishment, 47 years. You know what That's has he true. done? Yeah, it's such a, like it's a mishmash of a message. And the article I read was like a talented campaign uh, campaigner could actually weave those two together somehow. But they do not have talented campaigners left anymore. No, so. I don't think so. The, my favorite quote from Trump
1: over the last week was, you know, how could I lose to, like, the worst candidate in history? If I lose, I just might have to leave the country. And it's like, in my mind, I've, I had this vision of all those dictators who have to flee to a non-extraditing country where they can be safe on some island. I know. Made me think, you know. I know, but okay. That's uh, enough. Thir- coming up this Thursday is hopefully the last debate, or maybe yeah, there's oh, one okay. more. Or is it,
0: uh, yeah, is there? Because there were three remember debates remember. scheduled.
1: One was canceled, right. but I don't know if they postponed. and going to do the third one right them. before the election, or Ooh. yeah. Ooh, but this one, this one, they actually said the mute button will be uh in in effect. Really? Yeah. So, so, uh, I do watch just for I, that. But here's the deal. I know it's going to sound like somebody's yelling from the other room.
0: I know. That's what I'm worried about. Like You know all those Zoom
1: meetings to... where you <laughs> hear somebody, the dog barking in the back of the so, house?
0: I like my dog I, barking right now. Yeah.
1: That's what Trump's going to be like when
0: Biden's speaking. Just, rah, 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 rah. <laughs> yep. That, so it could be a little entertaining. Anyway. I think
1: it could be a little entertaining. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So one, one resource that I just mentioned to you a little while ago is the so- uh, Sojourners from, um, let's see, November, the November issue, volume 49, number 10. I don't have a date on other than November. Anyway, the the cover story is called A Roadmap for Moral Resistance. In the event of a tainted election, the faith community must rise up. Ooh uh and it's an Ooh. interesting resource on some ideas some some websites some ways to actually train to get involved uh even in this really short window of time you know, saying, leading up to the election and it just makes me wonder regardless of the outcome mm-hmm. uh it seems like we are not i think i can't imagine things like november 4th now take a sigh of relief everything's smooth sailing
0: Oh yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not feeling that could happen.
1: I mean, even, if, be even, nice. if the, even if the election is uncontested, even <laughs> if there's no fraud, it's not gonna be easy. Yeah. No. Uh, we, we, we have lost our ability in, as a society to be A, good winners, or B, good losers. <laughs>
0: uh, this last Sunday, so I do uh, guests uh, for our Sunday school portion. Our right. guest talked about how we are <clears throat> no longer, uh, we are increasingly less. That's a weird way to put it. Increasingly less, <laughs> we are uh, becoming. We're less greatly less reduced. <laughs> we are less able, responsible, meaning able to respond. Yeah. Instead, we've become more and more reactionary, rather than responsible. So uh, I thought that was an interesting little bet, and maybe that can be some of our training we need.
1: Yeah, because I think that's really a, well, part of the, the roadmap. One of the pieces of training in there is actually to be non-partisan peacekeepers, peacemakers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if if you are viewed as a reactionary, yep. there's no way that the other side is going to view you as an individual, as a human being. You're going to just represent the other viewpoint. Right. So how yeah, do you okay. enter in? Where you can be thought of as a human being, listening, responding, responsibly, yeah. you know, uh, to 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 the different voices. Uh, I love it. Yeah.
0: So okay, I think so that might be, be a really interesting resource. What's that? Link to that one. Can you link to that one? Can yeah, I'll put a, a link. The link
1: one? for that, because I think it's a really important thing to be thinking about.
0: Yeah, hardcore. So. Definitely. No matter what All right. happens. Really.
1: So, um, anything else on you, in your life, Cody, that you want to talk about?
0: Hmm. No, not really. I am. Uh, so, on October 25th, the day after my birthday.
1: Right. You're, you're I, preaching I, that I, day. Happy birthday.
0: I'll be preaching. Thank you. I will be <laughs> preaching in a Batman costume.
1: Oh. <laughs> I, oh okay why. you're you're preaching from the lectionary i see i get that goes, that's <laughs> right along with the gospel text yeah that makes sense
0: <laughs> well i uh, last year really, I put <laughs> it. you know i made a so we sponsor uh, kids to go to a uh, camp are you and, on a merry-go-round uh, by the way <laughs> i know i'm spinny i'm getting dizzy I'm, watching your, <laughs> your. i can't sit still i know i'm sorry so yeah i uh, we uh, the clarkson church sends kids to a camp and I made a challenge of, you know, if we raise a certain amount of, of money, I will preach in a suit of your choosing. Look at you, spitting. look at you. Okay, all right,, yeah, I get it. I'll stop. <laughs> and uh, they chose a Batman costume, so I'm finally That's living up cool. my, my uh, promise, my pledge. so
1: So was, were there certain certain suits you said you would not wear?. <sighs> Was were there really. was there a disclaimer a limitation?
0: No. Well, uh, anything that would involve, and I guess, Batman could involve this, but you know, I didn't want to shave my beard, so nothing that would involve that. No, right. no hair dyeing, uh, anything like that. So yeah, no, that was there was no real limit. <laughs> there were some. Uh, how they decided was kind of interesting. They put out buckets or jars, and whatever jar got the most money, that was a costume. And the other options included, um, I think, Mario, you know, from Super Mario Brothers. And there was also Backwards, you know, Backwards, just all backward clothing. Uh, And I think there was, like, Old old Grandma. That one I was like, (laughs) I didn't, I said no, I, I didn't say no to it, but I secretly put money in the the Batman jar to make sure to help make sure you know I, I, I just in, in my
1: head because this is coinciding with your birthday there wasn't a jar that said birthday
0: right no old oh, birthday suit yeah no that would uh, not be that would definitely there'd be a stipulation there. that would no, not be a no choice birthday.
1: that would not be an available choice
0: all right yeah not an available choice that's funny yeah no no that's good. no birthday suit that's funny yeah all right no that's it it's wacky wackiness coming up
1: so we have a great interview with, with Whitney uh, on this episode. I think next time we get together, we need to talk about a really great TV series that I got done watching.
0: Oh, I saw you comment on it on social media there. Uh, I I was I was, oh. I was was really, really, a, it was amazing. Oh, Maybe I won't man. say the name. Both, both, okay, don't even say the name because you want to yeah. talk about it. But, but it is why, why I, I did... La-
1: yeah, and it, it is that. the reason that I made the mistake of not saying diamond league, but said premier
0: league. Oh, okay. So that's something to do with soccer. That, okay. Ah, right. uh, yeah. A little giveaway. <laughs> okay, cool. We'll talk about it.
1: So now it's recording.
2: Cool.
1: So that's not to say everything we said previous to this was unimportant. <laughs> so gee, what do we need to go over again? So uh, on this episode, I want to welcome everybody to um, to the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. Uh, Cody and I are here talking with Whitney Mistel. Whitney is, uh, in my opinion, one of the most energetic, um, happiest, um, big love kind of people. Who's not only wrapped her, I've seen her wrap her arms around kids who need who need encouragement. But she's also wrapped her arms around, uh, not just Boise, uh, Boise, Idaho, but also uh, I would say it's inclusive of all Idaho uh, because of uh, the work that she's doing and she's inspired others to join her to do with an organization called Inclusive Idaho. But uh, that's a little bit of of Whitney. There's so much more about her, um, her life, her experience, and gosh, why are we fortunate enough to have her here in the Pacific Northwest? so we, we thought we'd have a conversation with Whitney get to know her a little bit and ask her a few questions so Whitney is there anything in your inter- introduction that I didn't say that you think is really crucial to say? Um, oh
2: no that's great um you don't need to give me a full bio but give my full bio um, but I'm just happy to be here and t- chat with you guys.
1: Good to have you so uh I would say, Cody, you're a really good interviewer. So anytime you want to ask the questions, just jump in and interrupt me. But since I know, maybe I'll go ahead and jump things off and start things off a little bit. start.
0: Absolutely.
1: So uh, you are in Boise, Idaho. And you can help fill in the blanks because you wanted to go to law school.
2: Right. Yeah. You're not in law school. So tell us about how
1: did you get here? Because because you're not from the Pacific Northwest. No. You're, a Mid- you're, not, you're, you're from the Great
2: Plains Midwest kind of area. I am from the Midwest. I was born and raised in Missouri, but yeah. I get the question, why did you choose the University of Idaho a lot? Um, but when I decided to go to law school, I knew I wanted to go to school in the Mountain West or the Pacific Northwest. So um, Oregon, Colorado and Idaho were some of my top choices. My twin sister um, lived here. She's lived here since 2014 in Boise. And so um, even though I got into some of the other schools in Colorado and Oregon, there was a big push on her end for me to choose the University of Idaho, be close to family. Obviously, you know, I, we were living in San Antonio at the time, my husband and I. So um, the proximity uh, of closeness would obviously shrink massively because we'd be down the street from each other essentially. So I chose the U of I. Um, and also it's cheaper than almost any other law school in its ranking category in the country. So that's helpful. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I moved here for law school and then, about a year in, um, just decided that it wasn't it um, for me. And uh, I went to law school because I really wanted to do what I consider some of the best work in child advocacy and and sort of lifting individuals <clears throat> out of systemic systems. Um, especially when you think of people of color um, and was looking as far as my law career was go, looking at um, being a public defender, working in homelessness, working in child advocacy. And so um, making the decision to leave really concerned me with how am I gonna be able to do this really well? Because we sort of know like, because of of how our systems are built, the more letters you have behind your name, um, the more you're able to do essentially, right? The more tables you get invited to, the more rooms you get to enter, um, and so that was probably the hardest part of leaving is thinking like, okay, how am I going to do any of this work that I want to do, any of the work um, that I dream about without this degree? Um, but it's turned out to be great. So <laughs> um, yeah, I moved here for law school. And so your 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 intention
1: for for law school, like you said, was advocacy, youth, working with issues around homelessness. I mean. Mm-hmm. Being there engaged in some of those systemic issues of, I mean, these problems that are deep and long-lasting, now you're doing some of that already. Do you look back on on law school and think, um, right motivation, it just wasn't the right time, and maybe that's something you'd pursue later? Or do you find that the work you're beginning right now um, gives you enough to jump in and, and do real concrete change-oriented work with without that without the letters behind your name
2: yeah I mean inclusive Idaho the work is yeah it's full and there and so law degree or not um it's plenty (laughs) if I never go back to school but I think about it um just just from a couple of standpoints and um being able to do the work that I do even better um and being able to have my own skill set that I don't need to sort of call on others, um, especially when we're talking about legal concerns, especially in the work that we're doing with um, the BIPOC community and um, underrepresented individuals. There's a lot of legal stuff that these people deal with um, constantly um, in all facets of their life. So I I think that it can be helpful, but I feel like um, our goal and our mission and, and our dream and our vision is really deep and really wide. So I don't, um yeah. I don't feel like it's um lacking in anything but at the same time I can't imagine when I would have time. Right. You know, <laughs> in, even in the next, you know, I think probably 3 years, um I don't imagine when I would have time um in building and starting a new nonprofit organization with the with the deep and wide vision that we have. Um yeah, I don't I don't know when I would have time. <laughs> this is it
1: it, it, so you did mention a little bit about the organization, about Inclusive Idaho. Um, and I think it'd be interesting. I'd, I'd be interested to learn how did Inclusive Idaho happen? So let me, let me back up with just a few bits and pieces. Cause I remember one night after track practice, uh, just about everybody gone. It was during in, uh, went the indoor season. Mm-hmm. And you and Bart, your husband, uh, Bartholomew. Does anybody call him Bartholomew? By the way, only me.
2: and okay, so, maybe so you
1: mom every once in a while. <laughs> you and Bart and Cliff and I hung out and we just talked. Yeah. Um, and it and I think for me as a white person, it's really important. To, uh, it was just really important to hear your story and Cliff's story as African Americans. What your experience was is has been like in in Idaho. Uh, yeah. And probably not limited to Idaho, but other kind of really predominantly white spaces. Yeah. Um, you spoke about your sister and some of the experiences she had, like uh, going into a drugstore and being um, watched closely. Um, you know, Cliff told similar stories, and you know, it, it it for me it was just so important to hear that. Yeah. But at that point, there wasn't a, an inclusive Idaho generating. No. Yeah and and what i felt as um just as a stereotypical old white guy was i need to hear these stories i want to learn about this but i don't know what else to engage in or assist, you know what what organizations to participate in and is something moving to to jump on with and, but it was for me it was an important opportunity just to hear then comes around the summer and um uh, the death of George uh, of um, George Floyd and an immediate upsurge all across the country mm-hmm. uh, you helped to organize and put together a black lives vigil and I think the vigil by the way was just beautiful thank you uh, it was just a wonderful experience and and I don't know you and I had texted a few times off and on previous to that and I think we we're anticipating a few hundred people maybe three hundred people I think at one point you said on a yeah. text. <laughs> And when five thousand people show up, yeah, um, something something had clicked in the community. Did did Inclusive Idaho come after that, or was the the organization actually pre previous to that?
2: No, we we were definitely after. It's funny because okay. in the beginning we put it at the vigil was on Tuesday night, um, and we started circulating. <clears throat> that we were doing it on Sunday at around 10. This is really fast turnaround, but um, yeah. by the night before Monday night, we knew that the numbers would be around 2,500 at least. Um, so there were some like, oh my gosh, there was an OMG moment about Monday at 11. So 24 hours after we started circulating it, we were like, oh, Okay, so we need a lot more stuff and speakers and ASL interpreters and, you know, ADA compliance section, all this stuff, um, which the coalition, another nonprofit organization in town and other organizers were, were huge in helping us, um, take care of that part, but no. So after the vigil, which was so incredible, I, um, I don't spend as much time as I did thinking about it, but, um, every time I actually take a moment to sort of reflect, it's still unbelievable to me that um, the largest event to ever happen at the Idaho State Capitol was a Black Lives Vigil. which, I mean, when you just <laughs> think about the demographics of the state, our history around racism, um, our history around white supremacy, and and I know it was a, a couple of things, right? The national movement, right? very, I mean, and we've been in this sort of highly um, polarized racial justice movement since then even. Um, But I think all of those things coming together, right? George Floyd and then just the the climate of the country um, and us making it something that wasn't like a protest or a rally where people felt comfortable enough to bring their families and had a really good understanding of what the event was. Um, but yeah, it's still, it still blows my mind, that <laughs> the 5,000 plus Idahoans, um, showed up for that, but really my sister and I sat down, um, really the day after and just said like, is this it? Like, this is what we're going to do. You know, like, is it, is this a one-time thing? Like, this is like, we need to continue to do this work and how do we do it? Do we host events at the Capitol every week in the middle of a, a pandemic? You know, right. um, yeah. which I will say, we had a ninety-six percent mask rate. That's what we've been that, told it was.
1: That, uh, that that that's there. There's two images in my mind that are just gorgeous from that evening. One is just the massive number of people who are present. I mean, that was just beautiful to see. But the other part that I remember is how many people were wearing masks.
2: Oh it was, yeah, and
1: it was love of neighbor in, we in were, action.
2: And we were so determined. I, I think Whitley and Jesse had to come grab me because I was like. 15 minutes to start, I was still running around making people take masks from me um, because I was determined. Um, but um, anyway, so after the vigil, we were just sort of like, we got to do more. And Whitley and I have always wanted to start a nonprofit. It's- so is, is Whitley your sister, by the way? Yes, yeah, we're twins. Whitney and Whitley? Yeah. <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah, um, okay. and me really specifically. And so, um, probably since I was 15 or 16, it's been something that I really, I've been really interested in doing. And um, we always kind of thought, no, we'll be, we'll be 35 in our 40s when we do this sort of, you know, more financially able to invest in ourselves, all of those things that you think about when you're trying to plan something well. Um, but we just decided like, no, this is, this is now um, from a movement perspective and a necessary perspective. Like it's already gonna take us a while to get every single one of these programs off the ground. So we gotta start it now. Right? right. Um, and so that's really how it started. Um, just us wanting to do something more than one singular event, which is so impactful and awesome. Um, but we really wanna see um, some systemic change <laughs> um, right. in Idaho r- around marginalized communities um, and underrepresented communities and just feeling like, hey, we have the opportunity um, to do this and we can do some things that aren't already being done
1: so yeah. So, so immediately after, oh, okay. oh, oh, I'm sorry, Cody, well, go ahead. I
0: just I just wanted to ask about uh, the organization itself. So um, because I'm thinking Boise, five thousand people all jammed together in the uh, around the Capitol building, you know, in an urban area. And so, how does Inclusive Idaho launch out of that? Which has to do with, in my mind, what I'm from what I'm reading from the overview, like a a retreat into wilderness, so to speak. Oh, so yeah. I like the imagery of the, the contrast, but how did that become what was the next step? I like- Oh, inclusive okay. outdoors? Yeah, yeah, the inclusive outdoors and why- uh, is it simply because nobody was doing it in that arena? or Oh, what's so,
2: the yeah, if you look at it, yeah, um, sorry, I, I thought you, I didn't know you were talking about inclusive outdoors, but so inclusive outdoors is sort of just one of our programming faucets, okay. but in, in doing, it's just, we just launched a video. So if you open our website, that's, that's the home right I now. I love the video. Um, yeah. me too. I cried the first time I watched it, but, um, <laughs> it, it was a labor of love from all of us and our videographer, but, um, and specifically we've been asked that a couple times like how did you guys think about inclusive outdoors and why was that as important to you as the youth counseling or inclusive schools right and so um our answer is always we live in idaho right. <laughs> you know, i mean <laughs> right. the, the outdoor community here is it's a must and even if it's right. as simple as like leaving your house and going to walk in the foothills like it's out the, out, out the outdoors is so like integral and connected into almost every Idahoans like life. Um, and the idea that we wouldn't consider that there's a lot of work to be done there as around inclusion is sort of crazy to me. It's sort of crazy to me that really no one else has done this um, in the way that we're attempting to do it. Um, but yeah, and, and the mental health aspect of actually being able to get outdoors and spend time um, and sort of learn these activities is, um, I don't know, the benefits is hard to quantify. Um, and we know that for the most part, the the individuals that you see really partaking and enjoying the outdoors from a mental health aspect and actual restful, um, ability to get away. Um, in Idaho, for the most part, are upper middle-class white folks um and so from a cultural perspective too right and so we we idaho has a really interesting um and unique population of refugees who are coming to idaho and to america and some of these activities are completely foreign and some of them are not um but also our inclusive outdoors program is also focused on for we're going to allow it to include sort of everything, but we have four specific activities that we really wanna hone in on as we build out programming and partnerships because they, they have an additional barrier to entry. They're, they're um, very common in Idaho, but they have a, an additional barrier of entry financially. Um, and so um, like mountain biking and cycling, and we mean road cycling um, is one. And then um, angling and rafting, and so we know that fly fishing is huge, right? right. Um, and those those four things alone, right, are a ton of money to get into. And then backpacking and hiking is probably our least our our least um, expensive activity because technically you can hike with a pair a good pair of shoes. Yeah. Um, and then climbing is the other one. And um, our hopes as well in in the next three years is to add winter sports, but it's a whole Uh, a whole nother bear but we all know that winter sports have a massive barrier to entry just from financially and so do the other ones and so we we sort of want to um really start having that conversation right especially from a financial perspective that like our black and brown communities often are um not as financially capable not because they're not as skilled um there's a ton of statistics around that why i'm not gonna (laughs) go into that necessarily but we know what the statistics are and so um even from a cultural perspective, you have an interest, even if your parents didn't do it and you have an interest, um, then not being able to pay for it as an additional barrier, right? And so, um, for example, I started mountain biking this year. Um, I went on a couple of mountain bikes. I'm, I'm 29, I'll be 30 in April. and um, But I got my first mountain bike at 29 for my husband who's white <laughs> and has done it for years. Um, I learned snowboard last year when I was 28 um, from, with my husband who's also white. And he's done it for years. I learned to cross country ski the year before that, um, when I was 27, from my husband, (laughs) again, (laughs) he's white and has done it for years. So not only is there was a cultural aspect that that I didn't do these things to participate in these activities, but also financially as well. Um, But yeah, and so I I like to use myself in this example because I do feel like um, that being married to a white man, especially in Idaho, gives me a level of privilege in participating in outdoor activities um, that other folks might not have, um, for a myriad of reasons.
1: That's, that's, that's a, a, that is huge. When I, when I first saw the inclusive outdoors video, yeah, it was, it was incredibly moving, but it also communicated something else that I, I know is part of the intention of inclusive Idaho is, um, so my experience was going to the vigil and then learning that inclusive Idaho as an organization has emerged, but it's not exclusively, uh, for issues of racism, Black Lives Matter, uh, movement yeah. issues, it also picks up all the other levels of inclusion. And so I think on that video, there's a person who is, maybe was there a trans person or? Uh, yeah,
2: so on the Inclusive About video, video, um, yeah. we have a Black queer individual who also okay. um, identifies as a woman. and um, And then we have Michael. <laughs> Who um, identifies as Hispanic or Latinx and um, Mariah, who's mixed race. Yeah, it was a
1: wonderful, rich diversity that says that these these issues are not isolated to only one, um, you know, social group. The issue of inclusion is much broader.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's it's so interesting too because, especially when we're talking about from the Christian perspective, right? Um, we all know what the three of us, right, and m- many of those listening. Right know sort of the turmoil that's happening. It's been happening within the church community or the Christian community around LGBTQ plus um, individuals, the rights, marriage, all of that stuff. Right. And so we really want to be an organization that says like, hey, we understand what you think and what you believe, but irregardless of this person's choice to marry who they want. Um, and then also irregardless of this person's identity, um, Or how they identify they still deserve to be included and live in the world as you and i do right and so their benefits of existing um should not be altered because they identify differently than we do right and um because they love differently than we do um and the list sort of goes on and on and i think it's really um for me especially as a christian i um it's not really been a difficult thing for me and i think a lot of people want want it to be um they I think they want something like deeper and more <laughs> something else when <laughs> I think that question, but um I think it's so interesting too I had a conversation with a pastor uh, like a couple weeks ago about um lgbt plus rights in the church and he said something that was so interesting and he talked about the I the idea that marriage is between a man and a woman but the our society and our government has made it advantageous to be married and so you receive from a governmental perspective um, as from a citizen perspective you receive benefits you're benefited by getting married and right. so before um, gay marriage was legal um, you were literally at a disadvantage to not be able to marry right mm-hmm. and so It's one thing to say, like, hey, marriage between a man and a woman, but I think it's so interesting that we don't also say, like, you are literally receiving benefits that have nothing to do with Christianity because you chose to marry the opposite gender up until, you know, a few years ago, um, which has nothing to do, (laughs) um, which is completely unfair, you know what I'm saying? So I just, anyway, I think we, I think there's such a narrow look at it. And I think um, because our society chose to make marriage a benefit um, in yeah. such a massive way financially, um, I think it goes without saying that we have to look, we have to look much bigger um, than we have been. But, and I think we did that, right? But um, mm-hmm. anyway, sorry, that was a little bit of a tangent. I just- no, that's
1: fine. <laughs> well, well, tangents actually, are good. Actually, that's that's why we don't that's edit. Sometimes, sometimes the gems are the I tangents.
0: Saw. Yeah, that's actually where I saw a lot of movement among many of my friends who still do not necessarily from their religious standpoint don't approve or whatever but but legally they were right along with me when i would bring up you know though okay let's set that aside but let's talk about how i know people right now who lived their lives with their partner and now are completely shut out from anything now that their partner has passed away their family basically cuts them out and they have no legal redress to anything and just the hurt that lay Right, lay- 20, years old on person.
2: It. Yeah. 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 Right.
0: yeah. Yep. And that's where I saw movement. It was like, okay, we don't necessarily recognize the spiritual union, but yeah, if the unfairness of it. I yeah. saw a lot of movement yeah. there.
2: And that's the, that's the thing that I keep saying to people that like, irregardless of your personal, right, religious beliefs, like, you can have those and nobody's taking those away. But I think you need to look at this. These LGBTQ people the individuals who identify as LGBTQ plus are citizens, they're humans, um, you know what I mean? And I think if we stop there, everything else just gets so much simpler. When we start adding all these other things and the butt, butt, butts in, um, because their rights and abilities shouldn't be any different than mine. Um, But I think- Get your butts out of there. Right, (laughs) we start muddling it and it gets complicated.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that be I'd like to hear you say a little bit more about. I mean, you, you kind of opened it up a little bit, but so you 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 as a Christian, you come into um, basically everything you do from how, how that faith perspective affects your interactions, and and yeah. your faith has has led you to this um, to this work that you're doing now. Now, how do you see? I mean from a faith perspective, how do you engage with, um, what, what is like God saying to you? How do you, what are the, what are the things that inspire you, drive you, motivate you, um, to do the work that you're doing, but also the, the broad net that you, you've cast. Cause it's, 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 this wide net of inclusion that that's so crucial. Um, how's your faith inspiring you or, or leading you in that?
2: Uh, so many ways. So I think, it's so interesting because, um, I would even say politically, I am, I am a, con- a conservative, liberal, liberal conservative, whatever you want, whatever, whatever you want to put it. Some people would say centrist, but I'm less of a centrist. Um, and so, I think diving into this work as a Christian in the way that that I have has been probably one of the most interesting seasons of my life, partially because there's so many opinions and um, from both sides. And so Christians who identify, I don't wanna keep bringing politics in it, but Christians who identify more progressively from a political standpoint, um, even from, you can just say from a Christian standpoint, are really excited and um, wanna know what we're doing and wanna know more and and sort of really, um, kind of sinking their hooks in what we're doing and those who don't so much more conservative um are really sort of unkind
0: (laughs) (laughs) um,
2: in that way about what we're doing and but I think it's I think it's more mostly because they don't fully understand sort of the mission in our work Um, but I think I what I hear constantly and what I what what sort of drives me is the um desire sort of the utopian society I mean that's one of the things that drives me is that we are not necessarily like I don't have to believe everything you believe and I don't have to think exactly the way that you think but I so I so badly want Idaho in our world to be a place where we are that everyone is fully loved in a like authentic way and not a like, Hey, we're just going to accept it because of the status quo. Right. Because it's politically correct. We're going to have a conversation with this person or we're going to hire this person, but I want there to be like real, true connectivity, um, and belonging. Um, I love Brene Brown and I use the word belonging a lot and, um, I want that to be true for everybody, irregardless of what they look like or their abilities or non abilities, um, or how they identify. And um, that's really what drives me. I think okay. I've been so frustrated lately because I'm like like the number one thing we're supposed to be doing is loving people.
1: Right.
2: You know, and I know that I know that like there's a lot of theology and many other things in the bible besides that right um but i just i feel like we move past that at lightning speed right mm, right because we you know like if we interact with the person and they don't meet x y and z criteria we don't we totally skip over that and we go straight to the butt and i just really want people to stop saying but, you know <laughs> um and say that you know um as a black woman, I should experience the world in the same unique and positive and beautiful way that white women do and white men do um, from an inclusion and belonging perspective, right? And the outdoors and my kids, which is why inclusive schools exist because I want teachers that embrace and know how to teach a classroom and uplift the classroom of students, no matter how they identify or what they look like. Um, and it's really hard for folks to do that in some ways, if they don't have the training or the tools or the resources right. and, um, we're only becoming a more diverse society, not the other way around. And it's not, it's not magically going to, there's no, there's no magic switch, <laughs> you know? And, um, yeah, I feel like I'm kind of going long on this, but I just, I mean, we really created Inclusive Idaho because... We want to create an Idaho where belonging is at the center of all that we do. Um, and we really want individuals who of, sort of, have existed and continue to exist or on the fringe to stop right. having to fight to sort of get away in and not have to meet all of the um, parameters of white culture to be accepted right. or receive a seat at the table. And I would say for sure, I always say this, um, but I know for whatever reason that I make white people feel comfortable, more comfortable than a lot of my black counterparts, my friends, people that I work with, whoever it might be. And whether it's the way that I dress or the way that I speak, I'm who I am. I'm not gonna change, but I just, I have been, I mean, I've been told that to my face and I've had the same conversations with other black folks who are like, yeah, this is, these are the four reasons why you're able to sort of interact in some of these spaces um, a little better, and I think that's something really important to note um, because I'm always acutely aware of it and working constantly to be as authentic as possible.
1: Right. Um,
2: but also, I don't. We don't want that, right? We need to be able to have community and conversations and hire. Right. Um, right. It's, and,
1: it doesn't need to be based on
2: right.
1: what you personally. Carry and oh, you're an acceptable person,
2: right? There's There's four right
0: there.
2: Because of these five things that we consider yeah. to be sort of the yeah. um, how you conduct yourself or in society type of deal, but but um, but yeah, I just think we spend and I think we spend a lot of time trying to sort of um, as cities, especially from like a city perspective, we spend a lot of time sort of trying to highlight our diversity and our differences, right? Um, And I think that's not a bad thing, but I think we could spend more time just actually including those people because I think highlighting is really neat, but it's such Mm -hmm. a short amount of time and then they're sort of pushed aside until you need to highlight them for like this month, right? Or whatever the month is that you're celebrating and uh, or the week or the day. Um, But these individuals exist in our communities in our state 365 days a year, right? right? And so like refugees are important, not just on World Refugee Day (laughs) or, you know, um, Black Idahoans are important, not just during Black History Month. And the list goes on and on and on. Um, And we want to create, we want to create something that's really like intentionally cementing some real change in the way that we sort of look at differences Um, And the way that we include people who are different than um, most of Idaho who is white. I think Idaho is in the 90% range for white population. I don't have it right in front of me, but I know that Um, for sure. And I know Boise's in the like a little over 90 range. Um, I got those numbers from the Boise Police Department, but um, yeah. So.
1: Uh, so one of one of the things that I heard you say, it, kind of in a nutshell, this issue of belonging is crucial. But it's also your your um, inspiration or the the impetus, the the drive you feel is that that be an act of love, more than requiring the other person to meet certain criteria. Belonging right. comes because you you want to reach out in love, not because they have believe this believe that do this do that um, right which i think as a christian that puts the that just puts it where it needs to be i'm responsible for being a loving person
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah without the butt yeah. yeah yeah uh what one of the things i was thinking of uh while you were speaking is i it made me um reflect a little bit on my my youngest uh, experience as a college athlete uh, his experience was he was the only well not the only he was probably one of two or three uh white kids uh on his football team in college Mm -hmm. and everybody else was african-american and he spent a lot of time hearing about their experiences learning about their uh neighborhoods where they had come from and and their 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 stories uh and he's you know ended up becoming incredibly sensitive to the stories of of african-americans um, mm-hmm. it also helps that he uh, is, I think he, it helps him understand because frequently, at least in the summertime, he is assumed to be a person of color. Uh, you, his, one of his nicknames in high school is tall Mex. Um, <laughs> you know, so, so he has a little bit of that understanding, but, um, but athletics sports was so crucial for him to, to really build that, to understand that you had a, a actually, I don't want to put in the past tense, you have had and maybe continue to have in different ways, a meaningful uh, experience with athletics. Yeah. Um, You're a successful college uh, track and field athlete. You've been involved in coaching. Do you think that athletics that sports plays a a crucial role in this? It seems to, I mean, culturally, but how, what's your
2: experience? Oh, (laughs) that's a deep, well, you're opening. But um, (laughs) so I'll say that Um, running was always part of my um, sort of escape, mental health relief. Um, I started running when I was about 11, Um, just coming off of some abuse that I'd been experiencing in the home that I was in, Um, and I um, really enjoyed it always, and didn't actually think that I was gonna be able to get to, that I was had the opportunity to run in college. And so um, that was a really big, really big deal um, because I came back out of foster care when I was 17. I, I think I was, um, I was adopted the second time or guardianship the second time, um, six months from aging out of the system. So really my, you know, really my, at that time in, in life, my whole look, Outlook was sort of like, what am I going to do if I age out of the system, right? Um, so, sort of what does my future look like? And um, anyway, and so being able to go to college and actually receive a scholarship for athletics and run was a huge part of setting me sort of on the path that I am now. Um, and I always wanted to go to college, but athletics was a huge part in getting me there, um, financial, you know, from a financial perspective as well. Um, but it was really interesting. And so I'll back up and say that the family that I grew up in was all Black, but we integrated the community that I grew up in. And nice. you can imagine that the teams that I was on as a youth, <laughs> um, myself and my sister at one point were the only Black kids. And then when we went to a different school, um, the our last year of high school, we were um, one of a few because we happened to be really close to a military town, which really helped with some... Adding some diversity there. Um, but it was really interesting. In high school, there was an expectation that we would be good. That was assumed. Before you ever dribbled a ball or ran a lap, it was just assumed like, hey, there's a new black kid. They're going to be in athletics and they're going to be good at <laughs> athletics. There was no question. There was no like, hey, what athletics do you do? Um, mm. Like, I remember literally the first day that I was at the new school that I graduated, like at the high school that I graduated from, someone asked me if I was going to be on the basketball team. Not ever having knowing um, if I played basketball, and, and I was a junior at this point. Um, no questions
1: about whether or not you're good with mathematics right. or interested in drama or-
2: So to be on the varsity basketball team, yeah. um, you'd have to be good. I mean, you'd have to have done basketball at some point in life. I was on the basketball team, but that's not the point. Right. Um and so but going to college was actually more interesting because I think I think in high school it was sort of expected you know um and we and spending so much time um sort of being the token um folks in white community we mm. we knew sort of what people were going to say whether it was good or bad and and it was a lot of times bad right mm. um but in college I think I was often frustrated because there was this sort of, you you guys have an advantage, um, but it was much more unkind, if that makes sense. And so, um, because we'd all worked pretty hard to get there, right? And right. 99% of us are on scholarship and um, for my team anyway. And um, there was definitely that the, sort of the, Aura that we had an unfair advantage in jumping or sprinting or whatever it might look like. And um, comments would be made and nothing that was like complete vitriol, but um, just sort of the idea that our hard work wasn't the reason why we're successful. Um, And that was really difficult. And I remember talking to some of my uh, male, like male black teammates who, we were just consistently frustrated by it. And um, one of my teammates, he had, he was the fastest kid in the MIAA, which is the conference I competed in for his entire career. I think he was like 60th in the world his freshman year in the 60 meter dash, which is really good. If you don't know track statistics, um, coming, you know, for a, running at a division two school to be 60th in the world in the sprint is massive Yeah. Um, as a freshman in college. And so, um, yeah. It just, oh. it was sort of like, it wasn't that we weren't included or accepted because there was, right. there was a definitely a family aspect of being a college athlete, which is one of the best things about it. I tell people that all the time, like if your kid can swing it, you know, if they have the ability to balance it, I would never, I wouldn't change it for the world um, because it makes college five times better than it would ever would be. Because all of these barriers that you have, making friends and figuring out where things are and and really creating a sense of community, um, they completely disappear because you're sort of thrust into one and you don't have to work at it or even try. You just show up to this locker room two weeks early before school starts and you have 40 new friends and you all wear the same uniform and you sort of sweat side by side every day. Um, So the family aspect is absolutely there, Um, but we saw it in a lot of ways. We saw it in how coaches recruited teammates And even from other schools from the coaching perspective, too, like there was sort of a, you know, um, it might be unfair if you have, if you recruit too many black kids because then you'll be good. You know, I mean, so it's, so all of these sort of like, we want to have a white enough team to seem like we're not just working off of talent. I, you know, it's hard to even like explain it. Looking back, it's so interesting. Like, Um, just recruit the kids who are passionate about track and field and want to run, right? Right. Comp or throw. Um, but there was way too much time from coaching perspective and from, um, a teammate perspective focused on our skin color and then the achievements that would occur, um, on the tracker in the field. Um, but I was really fortunate. I, I really wasn't like the, the amazing like super superstar I went to a really small school so I was good but because there was like five people um <laughs> but I was really <laughs> well,
1: okay there's always a measuring tape or a clock that says otherwise I suppose yeah but that's yeah, true yeah.
2: but yeah. I the thing that I ended up being best at was something I really didn't even do in high school I did it for four weeks in high school um and I was recruited to be a distance runner I I was an all-american in high jump which is sort of unheard of. So I feel like I have a really cool story in that way. And um, I was still really fortunate because 99% of distance runners, if they were told they couldn't be a distance runner would be have to quit. There's not like a second option, you know, like, like, oh, you you can't run the 5k high jump. In college, (laughs) not really gonna happen. Um, And I was fortunate enough that I do, I did have some natural ability to jump and, I was able to, to become, I would say, a pretty good high jumper and, and keep myself on the team, which is really crucial for me um, in my later years, um, just in the difficulty, like family situations, my sister passed away in my last two years of college. And so being able to stay on the team through medical difficulties and changing events um, was really was really huge for me. But I think, especially in an academic setting, you are always acutely aware, whether it's athletics or the classroom of your skin color. Um, I tell Bart all the time, like I really, really wonder what would have been different if I would have went to an HBCU.
1: Oh, right. Um,
2: How things would have been different, who I would be now, you know, sort of my outlook. Um, I sort of dream of this world where I can sort of wake up one day, (laughs) even if it's just for a day and just sort of feel like, oh, everyone, is like me um, and you really have to go to those pockets of the country to find that. Right. It's um, in really concentrated places and you know, you know the South um, and in specific neighborhoods, um, which is, I'm not even saying it's necessarily bad. I just, um, I do wonder, cause it was something that I was acutely aware of all the time. I still right. am every day. Right. Um, right. I live in Boise, Idaho, but I think that's the biggest thing that I would say. And I think your son experienced it right in reverse. He was probably pretty acutely aware of his whiteness exactly um, being thrust into a situation um, where he, especially not having grown up um, in an area that was predominantly Black. And I think uh, I'll say one more thing about that, too, that it was interesting to interact with my teammates, my Black teammates, who were from areas that had a a lot larger Black population. and sort of witnessing their discomfort because they were unable to sort of like um, cloak it or um, hide it in the way that I was. Um, I spent a lot of time in white community before I went to college. And so it was just like, hey, another white community. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, But for some of them, it was like true culture shock. You know, Um, to even be in a team that was half white or to be in a classroom and be the only black kid was, was a really really difficult transition, and so I think there's there's just so many aspects to race, and especially when you when you couple it with being a college student, um, and then so many of my teammates were first I was first generation, um, and as well, and um, yeah, there's just there's just so many layers. <laughs> That's and good. I, I always bring that up too because people sort of look at the black athlete as the same person, right? They come from the inner city ghetto, and they they're an af- you know, they're a college athlete, and they, you know, that's how they make it out and get a college degree because they were skilled in athletics. And um, it was just an
1: assumed narrative that,
2: right? Yeah,
1: yeah,
2: right.
0: Wow. Well, how did uh, your work in athletics there in college begin uh, inform your advocacy work that you do now? So, like, then you're so you're talking about uh, a fifty-fifty mix on a team there. And the coaches being in one way of thinking over the year, your time there, did you notice any changes because of work that you did there? And then did that fuel any um, inspiration in you for the advocacy work, or is that something that was just born in you from your uh, story from your childhood?
2: No, I think. Uh, well, oh, I'll, I'll, that's a <laughs> yeah. I'll answer that question. So. Um, it's from a lot of areas. So I will say too that that um, I didn't really see that recruiting aspect of um, how coaches were behaving until I started coaching. And it was my, I just want to disclaimer, my coaches were phenomenal <laughs> humans <laughs> in many ways um, and loved them. But um, so advocacy, like the, my push for advocacy, being a college athlete and a college coach really helped that for sure because um, there were some significant moments when I, um, when I was sort of in the, it, I wasn't a graduate assistant, but it was like that uh, position. Um, I started diving into ministry stuff with the FCA. And so that really pushed me into some advocacy and sort of starting to really hear story uh, from my teammates and sit with them on a more personal level. Um, and because I would bring them to church with me or like just to get food at the church or whatever it was. Um, not, not anything like super deep, (laughs) um, you know, sort of, you know, how, how churches partner with colleges and they, you know, feed kids and, and sort of offer them some, um, some shelter and community in that way. And, um, but being able to sort of hear the stories of my friends and my teammates, my former teammates. and then I started to sort of by some individuals be seen as that person that they could sort of go to um, when they were having an issue or when they were struggling with something. Um, but I would say for sure that my childhood is, my upbringing in my childhood was would be the number one factor in my decision to pursue advocacy work in the way that I have, um, to care about child advocacy, to care, um, I I hate using this word, but those who, you know, I wouldn't, I'm not gonna say downtrodden, but those who exist on the the fringes of society to care about bringing individuals who aren't included into the circle. Um, And so whether that, I've been in foster care, I've been adopted twice, and I grew up in a community where we were the only ones. So tons of racism experienced. And um, I'm a sexual and physical abuse survivor. And so you don't, you don't live those experiences um, a lot of times and come out without the desire. And you'll see that in many other nonprofits and and many of the people who do this type of work. Um, It comes often from a lived experience of having been through and wanting others to not experience hardships in life. Um, And it's interesting because a lot of that has got nothing to do with (laughs) what what my experiences were a lot of what inclusive Idaho is doing but I think it also comes down to inclusive classrooms definitely does but I think it comes down to like when you experience life consistently being pushed to the side um, or having to sort of fight for yourself constantly constantly and sort of rise above um, it really pushes you into um, the desire to love other people to help other people just in a very general, broad sense, like you want to be a part of the solution in creating belonging, period.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> question here, we're gonna make some segues here, um, but you just mentioned a little bit about inclusive classrooms. We've talked about inclusive outdoors. Can you just uh, tell us what are some of the different programs or initiatives that are part of Inclusive Idaho. And then on that, how can the community be supportive? What what kind of connections are you looking for?
2: Ooh, we can always have more connections. But I think um, <laughs> so like our, I'll just sort of kind of go down the list. So Youth Counseling right. Partnership, we're actually going to change that name of that, I think, to Inclusive Counseling because we, we want to make it a little broader and um, just make sure we're welcoming the community that needs it. Um, we started to work with the, the master's of social work program at Boise state and that mm. um, really just want to offer folks who need counseling, um, really, really honing in on BIPOC youth and Lg- and LGBTQ plus youth. Um, there's so, there's so much extra things that they're facing, especially right now, but in general in life, even, even from even inside their own homes, let alone at school or with their friends. And so, um, I mean, really hoping to combat, be a small percentage of, of the groups and individuals who are combat, combating su- um, teen suicidal ideation. Um, and so we're, yeah, so that's one of the things that we're doing. Wow. Um, and then inclusive schools is been, Jesse is our, um, director of policy and education. She's also a teacher herself and she's a phenomenal human, um, and education in her, like title actually means just like um DEI like education and what we're doing Um, but she has really made this sort of her mission her her work in inclusive Idaho and she's um doing such amazing things and she's just creating um really great work but her and I are going to be presenting in November to the Idaho State School Board Association um, around inclusivity in schools and and what can school boards do. Um, I think that's the title of our workshop. We're really excited about that. We really feel like it's gonna sort of help launch inclusive schools and and open the door um, and really inform people, like what's our mission? What's our goal here? Um, We really want want teachers to feel equipped and administrators and um, school boards to feel equipped to um, like love and create Um, great classroom, great, great experiences, uh, and great environments for the students in Idaho. Um, we want there, we want to really get rid of the fear around having a kid in your classroom who identifies as LGBTQ plus, and we really want to give, um, or anything else, but specifically there, we've just seen a lot of sort of like, a we don't know what to do because we don't want to say the wrong thing, or we, or we're not sure, you know, there's so much unsurety. And so teachers sort of shut down. Um, and so that, that, that kid, not because the teacher doesn't like them, but because they're so fearful of, of whatever it might be, um, feels even less included, um, and more isolated because our teachers and our administrators don't have the curriculums and the training that they need, um, to really like exemplify inclusive classrooms in every way, whether it's, um, a child, um, who's a refugee or a former refugee or BIPOC children or, um, those who identify as LGBTQ plus or t- disabled individuals, and so we really just want Idaho to become more aware um, in that realm. So yeah, inclusive schools. We're we're hoping to do some work in curriculum in the future, um, but that requires 501c4 status, <laughs> and we are deep in so many other things right now. Um, <laughs> but we're really we're just really hoping in the beginning in the next couple of years to really. Have some effect on the way that teachers are trained around inclusion and diversity and equity in their classrooms um and making them feel comfortable with being able to teach all kids really right. is, is sort of what we want um and and it being comfortable and enough that they feel excited to talk about it and share it with their with their co-workers and so that sort of deal and not and that it's not a political issue right um and yeah, so in the Inclusive Outdoors, we talked about that a little bit, but just really creating an Idaho that is super accepting and creating opportunity and space for um, underrepresented communities to enjoy the outdoors and experience the outdoors, especially youth. Um, all of our partnerships we really want to sort of create, um, Inclusive Outdoors is based in the tenets of uh, mentorship, education, and experience. And so providing um, one-on-one um, relationships and opportunities for the folks that are in our programs, um, educating them in whatever skill they want, whether it's mountain biking or fishing or angling, um, we are calling it, and, um, and then experience. And so like Idaho Rivers United, for example, where they will be providing us with sort of like the actual, so we're gonna get 15 kids and go on a rafting trip and we need professional people <laughs> who know how to like guide or all of those things. You see what I'm saying? And so and within that programming, we're gonna provide actual, like very structured experiences as well um, to sort of at least open the door for opportunity for these um, individuals who are interested in, in getting outdoors and um, sort of opening that avenue to their lives that they, they really don't, maybe not have right now. Um, yeah, that's inclusive workspace is another one of our programs where we're um, sort of tabling that a little bit right now just because so many other other folks are doing work in diversity, equity, inclusion within um, corporate spaces. Um, we're working with a few local orgs, but um, it's not one really of the ones we're highlighting just solely because um, we're doing a thousand other things and we're trying to launch in a very pyramid way so that we do everything well. Um, and then probably the thing that I am... Um, that we don't talk about as much, but I am most excited about is Idaho for Refugees. And so that program is um, based in second year. Um, And so if you don't know, a lot of people don't, when um, an individual comes to the United States as a refugee, they receive a lot of help and aid in their first 365 days. That first year, whether it's financially, education, housing, um, job placement, all those things, um, they're really sort of Um, given a backpack of tools and continually checked on and aided in sort of making it right as we we like to say in America. Um, But after their first year, upwards of 80, 85% of um, that help goes away. And there are plenty of families and individuals who are like, nope, we're good. You know, sometimes they come over and they have family already here that's established. Um, There's a myriad of situations but there's plenty of individuals who are not good and they're not ready. for also very different reasons. And so we really wanna focus on second year refugee aid. Um, and then in, in the immediate future, one of the things that we're gonna do just to sort of launch the program is provide clinics. And we're, we're working with Wander, Wander Medicine, having conversations with the, with the vaccination clinic. And then also um, Lumos Optical, we started a conversation with them about coming together for these clinics and um, just providing, um, so Clues of Idaho will step in as like a scholarship um, aid in getting family and paying for the care that these families need if they need it. Um, but we also just want to provide um, good care to a refugee community that they may not have otherwise or can't afford otherwise. Um, so yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> it is <That's> a, lot. <laughs> it's a lot. That is a
1: lot. And one of the things I hear is like, there's, there, there's, there's. There's more yet to come, but capacity is kind of at full.
2: Right. Yeah. Capacity is yeah. more than full. We're brimming and wow. boiling every day. Wow. <laughs>
1: well, one of the things we do when we get to know somebody in these conversations is we, we've come up with uh, kind of a closing segment where we ask four or five questions. I'm going to let Cody take that over.
0: Five questions? Five, okay. Five questions.
2: Okay.
0: Ed. All right. We ask all our guests these same yeah, five questions. First of all, I do want to mention. I know uh, poking around on the website, I did find something that's coming up in November is a uh, reading group that you can yes. sign up and join, um, led by I think Austin. Uh, so yeah, that that looked really interesting to me. Yeah, we're, <laughs> starting,
2: we're starting a reading group, um, so we'll have a new book every month. I'm actually really excited about this. So I'm going to talk about it for that's five seconds. Cool. Uh, sure. So we really wanted to like support a local bookstore and doing this and actually give away books to make it the reading group more inclusive. Because uh, all the books that we're choosing are like probably between $25 and $35 um, mm-hmm. a book. And um, anyway, so we're going to purchase 15 books through Rediscovered Books for every new right. book that we choose and sort of just give those away um, to our members who, who um, can't afford Um, And yeah, we're going to do it for for now. And then when we're out of COVID, we'll actually meet in person and sort of break off into some small group type of deals. Um, But yeah, we're really excited and and we just want to keep the community engaged in this. What's the first book coming Um, out? It is Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Oh. Yeah. Um, So we want to keep our community engaged in sort of inclusive anti-racism work and learning, and we feel like this is a great way to do it, especially with the winter season coming up. And, and I know we're all concerned and worried about sort of the shift in still being in COVID and mental health aspects. And so wanting to provide the community one more thing that they can co- sort of look forward to, show up to, and have um, as much as community as you can have through a screen. Right.
0: <laughs> cool that's neat that was very cool yeah i'll make
1: sure to put links on the on our on our podcast page for those kinds of things as well as other connections
2: that's going on um is on our website except for a couple of things but um but yeah our website is pretty helpful right now but if you're like looking for something if you go to our instagram page our link tree is updated almost every day so
0: excellent very cool Yep, that's actually where I found it, was the link tree, so very cool. Okay, cool. Uh, all right, here's our five closing questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what are you drinking? So by that I mean not necessarily right now, but like what is your go-to drink that uh, maybe we would find in your hand if we ran in, bumped into you on some random occasion?
2: Oh, uh, three things. So, or four things. I always am drinking one of four things. Um, I don't drink coffee. So a chai, if you see me with a coffee cup, it's definitely an oat milk chai without question. don't have to question it. Um, I love body armor because I work out a lot. I'm an athlete, but it also just tastes really good. So I switched from Gatorade probably like two years ago to body armor um, and love that. Um, water I keep my water bottle like just like I did when I was in college with me every day um, <laughs> and then red wine like a blend or a malbec is generally so those four things actually five in this season I um, I really only drink porters and stouts if I drink beer so my team dark beer
1: and and there's a great um uh, oh what what was the um the porter that was made by um for a fundraiser for you guys.
2: Oh, Black is Beautiful. Yeah, Barbarian, they're yeah. dear to our hearts. Um, they've they been awesome in partnering and, and helping us fundraise and, and doing whatever they can to sort of lo- help us launch well financially. So, um, and yes, they have like a million beers and they're all good. <laughs>
1: yeah, and, that, and that one in particular was a great uh, was a great enjoyable beverage. I, I, I liked it.
0: <laughs> Barbarian Brewing, is that what you said? Barbarian yes. Brewing? Okay, yeah. cool. All right, what are you reading? So it could be a book that you're currently in it could be a a, a, a blog that you regularly to check out and want to recommend or anything like that or an essay that has really piqued your imagination recently. well I will be
2: reading the November book um between the world and me because I haven't read it yet I I finished the water dancer but I haven't read between the world and me um I just finished becoming believe it or not by Michelle Obama which okay. I'm sort of like apprehensive to tell people that cause they're like, what, you're just not reading that. But <laughs> my, I mean, I feel like anyone who does this work has a book list, like right. <laughs> so long it's endless. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's, but I, I think just on a day-to-day basis, I am constantly pulling up articles um, just based around diversity, equity and inclusion, especially um, in One of the things I've been really interested in is sort of um, intersectionality and um, what that looks like in the work that we do. So that's probably the thing that I am like seeking out um, outside of a book like articles or like podcast links or, or whatever.
0: So. Yeah. Is there a particular author that you're like, as soon as that person submits something? No, like, I just,
2: I um, because of the podcasts I listen to are always like linking, you know, okay. um, gotcha. to those type of things. So I, I go look for it. Yeah. Cool.
0: That leads us to our next question, which is what are you listening to? So music that's really like, yes, you're vibing on it right now or a podcast perhaps that uh, you highly recommend? Um,
2: yeah, I actually love... Dak Shepard's podcast, um, it's called Armchair Expert, but I mostly only listen to, it's like the, instead of the yellow cover, it's like the teal one, and it's experts on experts. So it's sort oh, of the people who are like actual experts in their field or they're sort of life experts in whatever they do. Um, so I just listened to um, the uh, Michael Tubbs. He's the mayor of Sacramento, I think, I mm. believe, or no, um, Oakland. He's the mayor of Oakland, California. super young he was a city council member at like 23 um and the mayor at like 26 or 27 anyway super good episode and then i just listened to bill gates episode with him too as well um and then music wise i am loving infinity song and victory who's also a part of infinity song i'm listening to a lot of that um and then i've been listening to the soundtrack from selma the movie a lot um yeah, I think, I mean, I listen to music all day long, but oh, yeah. those are the That's things right. that like yes, immediately right. come to my mind.
0: I love it, perfect. What are you watching?
2: Uh,
0: <laughs> Streaming on Netflix, binging when you get a chance? Um,
2: what YouTube
0: watching? channel you like? Um, <laughs>
2: uh, let's see.
0: No time, is there? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm not really I it's sort of kind of random. I sort of I sort of just pick a movie.
0: Sure.
2: Um, I'm trying to think of what I've watched recently though. Um I watch mountain bike documentaries with my husband when he turns them on. <laughs> there you go. But you honestly webinars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, yeah. And I know it's not really the same as like watching, but it's that's probably what I've been participating in most. Um And so, yeah, webinars of all types and been participating in the one being put on um, through the, um, I think it's through the coalition or folks who work through the coalition around indigenous communities. Um, And so that one's been really good and just learning a lot because it's an area where I don't have a ton of obviously personal knowledge, but just knowledge in general. So,
0: yeah. Okay. Very good and let's see watching listening reading drinking oh if we well Craig already lives around there so but if I dropped in from I'm up here I'm actually pretty close to Moscow I'm in Clarkston Washington so yeah uh, if I came to visit you and you could take me out for dinner where would you take me what 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 food joint would you
2: I would okay okay you gotta go here Bart's going to be disappointed in his answer, not because he doesn't like the restaurant, but he's like, ah, oh, we got to stay away from 8th Street. But, <laughs> um, well, it's busy, you know. Um, but I love the Funky Taco. The owners are phenomenal humans. Um, they've also been supportive of us as an organization. But their food is so good, and it's actually really unique. And um, I would just say Idaho has a plethora of sort of American food restaurants. You can get a burger at, at every restaurant, even if it's not a burger restaurant. Um, and so I love the Funky Taco because they just have some more like really and inclusive choices, like vegan and vegetarian and gluten free as well. Mm. Um, but their food is super good. I always get the kimchi quesadilla and I add chicken. So you should oh, get that. Nice.
0: <laughs> so, some, let's see, is it Aztec, the taco truck? Is there an Aztec or Azteca taco truck? In I don't
2: know. The Funky Taco, or the, yeah, Tin Roof. So, is ten, a, okay. Tin Roof is there another good taco place too. You're, you're just yeah. trying to keep yeah, them separate.
1: Talk. You're trying to don't
0: don't blend them together.
2: Funky Taco. I've never
0: never even been there, but I've seen it. That's about it. It's super oh, cool, good. awesome. Those are our closing five questions. Thank you.
1: Cool. It. <laughs> so Whitney, yeah. thanks for for uh, spending uh, some time with us today. Yeah, uh, absolutely. We will. A um, couple of things. Well, we'll put some links on so people can learn more about inclusive idaho and can follow on instagram uh, linked to your web page um also in the future it'd be fun to just check in with you for like a five minute update you know like hey how things going uh yeah, yeah i don't know there's something coming up in early november i forgot what it was i think the third you know that's going to change things perhaps in the in the <laughs> in, in the world yeah um you know but if you know you wanted to do a little five minute uh essay what are you talking uh, about It's the day after my birthday. What did you know that? Okay, that's yes.
0: Okay, that is world changing. You're right. It is world
1: changing. So, but yeah, it'd be fun just to check in from time to time and hear how things are going.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You can. Yeah, well, I'm happy to do that anytime. And um, even in 2021, the the winter and the spring, I know we'll have a lot going on. Um, We're really pumped about Black History Month. Just an FYI. That's good. (laughs) So, well, yeah, I, I think at some point, you and
1: I should probably have a conversation about about the Premier League and about you know, whether or not they should be changing the rules on qualifications for, you know, for the uh, championship rounds.
2: Oh, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we talking I mean, about soccer. I'm really hoping. Oh, we're talking about track and field. Track and field. Well,
0: Premier League
2: diamond league he probably means diamond
1: league diamond yeah oh, okay I, I, okay yeah premier yeah. league that's right i just yeah. got done watching meant- this soccer mini
2: series. i know i know what you meant oh. yeah um, yeah i'm like praying that the um olympics happened because who well, knew yeah. we would still be here
0: who knows? <laughs> so
1: yep definitely yeah well thank you for being with us whitney it's good to see you again it's been a while
2: yeah see ya
1: all right thanks a lot bye-bye okay. One of the things we've tried to do in the past is refrain from editing. And at this time of year, my office is on the back porch, so frequently you might be able to hear finches, sparrows, doves, as well as cars and lawnmowers. All the talking, interviews, and conversations are rough cut, mainly because we never wanted to take the time to get overly precise and picky. Rather, we have great ideas, and we just simply want to present them. Start following, commenting, and sending us ideas on the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast Facebook page. Also, you can search for the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast by going to themissionplace.org. Go to the Media tab, and you can find all of the episodes of the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. As we're closing out, I want to give a big shout-out to At the Speed of Darkness for the music intro and outro. You can follow At the Speed of Darkness and support his music at Bandcamp.